from the WIA. This is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. This is WIA National News for week commencing August 17th, 2014, and I am Brian, VK3GR. And I'm Robert, VK3DN. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Robert. What's news with you, mate? What's news with me? Uh, well, on Friday I did a Battle of the Bands, uh, PA for Battle of the Bands. Which very is cool. At a high school and a uh, very enthusiastic music teacher and some very enthusiastic young kids. Their very first time up on stage with uh, big lights and PA and stuff like that. But gosh, it was, uh, it was good to see them so inspired. You'll have to get back there and make it the first time in front of a, a microphone for the ham radio perhaps and get some more F calls. <laughs> Maybe. So what have you been doing this week, Brian? I have moved house. Got a new place. Moved house. Your house just moved out of home with mum and dad. Just moved out of home with mum and dad. I'm 65 years old. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're still young You're themselves. You're not 65. Feel it sometimes. So, new house. Tell Beautiful me. place. Um, closer to work. That's all important. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's done. I don't have to touch it. I don't have to do anything. It's not a fixer or upper It's just a nice, modest, middle-of-the-road house that I quite like. Excellent. And has it got scope for antennas? Unfortunately, it's a little bit small, but um, anyone who I've spoken to in the last couple of weeks is going to be uh, listening now, and they're all going to be uh, wondering which way I'm going to go on antennas. So I'm going to say uh, it's looking like an off-center fed just to fit it on the block. So there's one person out there who's jumping up and down for joy and a half a dozen who are wondering why they even wasted their time giving me suggestions. There you go. All right. Well, I'm sure that the antennas will be up sooner than, uh, sooner than the missus hopes. Uh, yeah, sooner than she hopes. Yeah. Actually, a lot's happening, and this weekend is a massive weekend, August 16 and 17, ILLW, the RD, everything's going on. Everything's going off this weekend. Well, for all of those people who are listening who might be in lighthouses or beside lighthouses or um, participating in the RD, very good morning to you. And good luck. Enjoy yourselves and uh, get in the spirit of it, and uh, hopefully you're carrying some of those uh, brochures around Calling CQ brochure. Calling CQ. And let's get into the news. Again, Anzac 100 to commemorate. Anzac 100, a series of articles, is to appear in Amateur Radio magazine by the WIA historian Peter Wolfenden, VK3RV. Here's a summary of one of them. A continuing effort has been made to record information about all radio amateurs who served their country during all wars and campaigns. This will probably take years. The WIA Remembrance Day contest perpetuates those 26 radio amateurs who lost their lives in the service of this country during World War II. But who were all the others serving during the war? Wartime Amateur Radio magazine finds early VK2 and VK3 lists. Enlistment in other states was also located. A rough initial count puts it at about 300. Further investigation of wartime ARs reveal that a column by Jim Corbin, VK2YC, entitled slouch hats and forage caps contained more information enabling another 150 or so to be added taking it now to 460 then an editorial in AR magazine in June 1940 mentions that over 700 amateurs were serving whichever way you look at it the amateur radio response to the call to serve was significant if we take the lesser figure of 460 discount those too old or in the essential services, it's probably fair to suggest that over 50% of available radio amateurs became involved directly in the war effort. And thanks to Jim Linton, VK3PC, for the weekly contributions in, uh, in that segment.
OK, now it's to around VK, and we're starting with VK2. VK2, where it's the home of the good guys. The Variety Club's B2B Bash, which this year follows a course from Brisbane to Sydney, were given access to the Armidale District Amateur Radio Club's rooms to provide vital communications during the current B2B event. Mr Peter Humphreys, Communications Officer for the Variety Club, has said that communications is vital to the safety of an event like this. Mr Humphreys also expressed his thanks to Rick Rogers, President of the ADARC, for allowing access to the club's rooms and the 160-metre doublet aerial during the event. Thanks to Murray, VK2MOZ, for sending in that news story. The Eastern and Mountain District Radio Club's main monthly meeting for Friday the 5th of September will see a presentation by Professor Gene Armstrong on Li-Fi, using light to transmit high-speed data. Professor Armstrong is a leading research scientist at Melbourne's Monash University and an expert in the field of OFDM transmission methods and cutting-edge Li-Fi technology. It's set to be an enlightening meeting. Head to the EMDRC website www.emdrc.com.au for directions and details and more information. Everyone's welcome. Now this one's from uh, Alex VK4TE and Andy VK4KCS and uh, it's not just for VK4 but it's from VK4 for all of VK. They're saying they've contacted all the amateur radio clubs in VK4 with a suggestion that they contact their local RSL sub-branch and offer to set up an amateur station possibly both HF and VHF, in their club grounds across the long Anzac Day weekend in 2015 with the idea that the public will be invited to the sub-branch premises with the opportunity of talking to other RSL sub-branches or amateurs both local, interstate and possibly overseas depending on propagation conditions over that weekend who are out there helping to commemorate the Anzac centenary. So we thought we'd bring it to your attention. It's a great suggestion and we'd love to hear more but... I know for sure that the WIA is actually organising something, aren't they, Rob? Yes, they are. They've got call signs and all kinds of things uh, underway for uh, the celebration of the uh, event. So Pencil it in now and make sure you get that weekend free to join in the uh, VK-wide and and maybe even, uh, um, I suppose, NZ as well or ZL. Yeah, it'll all be happening. Stay tuned for more details. Okay, thanks again. And it's now across to Ono, who'll tell us a bit more about why it's so good to have an F-call. What use is an F-call? I once asked an amateur what the best wire was to use for an antenna. He advised me that there are really only two kinds of wire, free wire and cheap wire, with the preference for the former rather than the latter. In the run-up to a recent contest, I spent a week building an 80-metre pyramid antenna. It took around 82 metres of wire to build. I started with using a roll of 12-gauge wire, but that was too heavy for my squid pole. I managed to break it about 4 metres from the top. I should have left it at that, but I was determined, so I went to my local electronics store and purchased a 100 metre roll of light-duty hookup wire. It cost me about 25 bucks. I managed to build myself an antenna that was perfectly resonant on 160 metres. Very helpful. Not. By this time it had been raining for several days and my antenna building activities were curtailed. Not because I melt in the rain, but because it wasn't fun being in the rain. At the end of the day, this hobby isn't supposed to be a chore, it's supposed to be fun. I retold my story over lunch when a friend suggested I might investigate electric fencing wire. Comes in 200 metre rolls, 25 bucks. Strong enough to keep a horse at bay, built for Australian conditions. 
I spent a little time looking at this, and while there are those who tell me that it's a fool's errand, there are plenty of discussions recommending and comparing this kind of material for use as an antenna. So, in the arsenal of possible sources of antenna wire, I can now add electric fence wire to my list of things to try. It's not free, but it's pretty cheap. What weird and wonderful materials have you used to build antennas? I'm Ono, Victor Kilo 6, Foxtrot Lima Alpha Bravo. And another great instalment from Ono. Now to international news. Software developers at the RSGB convention. The RSGB convention takes place on the 10th to the 12th of October at Kent's Hill, Milton Keynes, and there are some very exciting lectures and workshops planned. On Saturday, a workshop and show-and-tell session for programmers developing logging software, data modes, computer control systems, SDR, software control and other innovations in remote radio software has been arranged and all are welcome and to DX stations, contact the RSGB for details. Weekend packages that can be tuned to the individual's tastes are available from the RSGB website at rsgbevents.org. SARL in talks with Regulator. South African Radio League representatives met with ICASA on Friday for a workshop to discuss various licensing issues. The discussion included reciprocal licensing, expansion of the 160 metre band, increased power on HF and some VHF bands, repeater planning and coordination, and updating of the Memorandum of Understanding, which covers the amateur radio experimentation and other administrative issues. The South African Relay League tabled a number of documents covering these subjects. The Independent Communications Authority of South Africa will now look at these various proposals and provide feedback to the South African Radio League over the next few weeks on how these issues can be addressed as expeditiously as possible. The workshop was attended by the South African Radio League President, Jeff Levy, ZS6C, Hans van Groendahl, ZS6AKV, and Nico van Resenberg, ZS6QL, and also Colin de Villiers, ZS6COL. From the WIA, this is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. There you go, Brian. SARL can talk with their regulators as we, the WIA, are currently talking to our regulator. Something interesting going on over there. And also, I think uh, up in, uh, in Ireland as well, they're, uh, they're having a chat there about some uh, rules and regs and, and what they can do with, uh, in terms of uh, some new bands and modes. Um, I always like including uh, you know, the who's who of who did the stuff, like in the last line there with um, the great names, Jeff Levy and Hans de Verne. Uh, um, yep, that's me again with a terrible um, pronunciation of people's names, and I do apologise, but I reckon it's cool to see these call signs and names in the news and hear them while you're driving around perhaps on a Sunday morning, whatever it is, and then one day down the track contacting and going, hey, I've heard of you before. Familiar names and friends. And uh, here's a new friend of ours who's been thinking... Hello, I'm Jeff Emery, VK4ZPP, and I've been thinking. Another year and the RD is stirring the memories, refreshing the commemoration of those who served in war and came from VK shores. Again this year, there is another international contest drawing amateurs to the air, and that is not the only one. It is pertinent to ask, on the centenary of the beginning of World War I, whether there should have been greater emphasis on the RD. Will next year, the centenary of the Anzac landings, 
see a revival of emphasis on this contest? Or is it a fact that the freedom to choose is the very celebration of war service our predecessors would approve? As amateurs, we embrace the change of technology and revere our heritage. As much as the symbolism of using collectible military radios, the RD contest is not so much a public acknowledgement of war service as a private exercise for the hobby. This has been its history, but should we now be looking at a more public demonstration? Recognition of our servicemen and women is growing, and is this the time that amateur radio should join the public remembrance? With CW being the originating digital mode, can we extend the range of things that currently enhance our hobby in pursuing the RD trophy? In other words, could the RD be a public promotion used as a field day motif and the history and presence of amateur radio demonstrated in the friendly contest? May the best division win. I'm Jeff Emery. And that's what I think. How about you? ILLW on the air now. Around Australia and New Zealand are portable stations taking part in the annual International Lighthouse and Lightship Weekend. The Light Vessel 55, on air as GB0CCC, is the 500th registration. It once provided navigation for the treacherous Bristol Channel and was built in 1885. The annual event helps promote awareness of old maritime navigation structures. The new countries this year are Barbados and Kuwait. The USA is in the lead with an all-time high of 86 registrations, followed by Australia and Germany on 65 each, with England having 35. For a full list of registrations, see the website illw.net. And thanks to Jim Linton, VK3PC, for bringing us the weekly updates on the ILLW event. Now to some DX news. Markdown November as when LLW9EOC will be operational from San Andreas Island November the 26th until December the 9th. Also take part in the CQ Worldwide DXCW contest as well as the ARRL 160m CW contest during his stay. No call sign for this operation has been announced, but there is the possibility it could be 5JZ0T. QSL via LW9EOC, his home call sign. To operational news, Dateline 2014. This weekend, the WIA Remembrance Day, the RD contest. On now, August 16 and 17. Also, the International Lighthouse and Lightship Weekend over the same weekend. Currently, the Alara contest is only a couple of weeks away, August 30 and 31. Then the Manly Warringah Radio Society's flagpole contest, September 20th. Rob, this is the one where they're, uh, it's on Talk Like a Pirate Day. Yeah, har. Har. Amateur Radio International Air Ambulance Week, nine days from September 28th. Okay, thanks for that, Brian. And now we move into Worldwide Special Interest Group news. Worldwide Special Interest Group, Space. U.S. aerospace firm outlines New Zealand-based space program. A United States aerospace company is aiming to make New Zealand one of the exclusive group of countries with a space program by promising a revolutionary new satellite-carrying rocket for a fraction of the current satellite launch costs. 
Rocket Lab announced on Tuesday that it had developed a lightweight carbon composite rocket named Electron at its Auckland plant and hoped to offer a small satellite launches for less than $5 million US dollars, compared to the current average price of $133 million US dollars. The firm, which has received research and development funding from the government, was being backed by Silicon Valley venture capital firm Cosler Ventures. Rocket Lab founder and New Zealander Peter Beck said in this statement, The lead time for businesses to launch a satellite would be cut from years to just weeks, and the company already had commercial commitments for 30 launches, said Beck. At 18 metres in length, 1 metre in diameter and weighing more than 10 tonnes, Electron would be the first vehicle of its class capable of delivering payloads up to 100 kilograms into low Earth orbit at an altitude of about 160 kilometres. Businesses faced a severe barrier in launching satellites as rockets had remained prohibitively large and expensive, despite the trend for satellites to become even smaller, more capable and more affordable, he said. Along with benefits for commercial enterprises, cheaper and faster space access has the potential to lead to more accurate weather prediction, global high-speed internet access, as well as real-time monitoring of the impacts of human development, said Beck. New Zealand was an ideal launch position for a variety of different types of orbits and plans were underway to build a space port at several potential locations. Powered by liquid oxygen and kerosene, Electron would have a lift-off mass of 10,500 kilograms and a possible top speed of 27,500 kilometres per hour. And thanks to spacetravel.com for the above information. 27,500 kilometres per hour, Rob. That's still not as fast as my missus drives. No, but you wouldn't want to see that colliding with the missus. And I wouldn't want her to get her licence too soon because she might hear what I just said. Uh, talking about fast and uh, quick and cheaper and the rest and uh, and getting these satellites down, there is a uh, bit of news that's about to come through. There's a uh, the CubeSats in, over in the US. They're trying to set up uh, 250 CubeSats, five from each state across the, uh, the US. So we'll have more news on that next week. Now to worldwide special interest groups staying in space with ARIS. France will now allow students third-party communication with the ISS. On July 16, 2014, the French State Secretary for Digital Affairs, Axel Le Maire, responded to a request by the Deputy of Haute-Vienne Province, Daniel Bosery, authorising French students to participate directly in the ARIS educational school contacts under the supervision of a licensed operator. Until now, the French administration was very restrictive. For direct school contacts, the operator read the questions prepared by the students. Even this is third party but was tolerated by the French regulatory authority. Most European countries allow students to participate directly in ARIS school contacts under the supervision of a licensed operator. Permission to do so requires varying procedures from country to country. But the issue of enabling third party communications can generally be solved. Until now, the only exception was France. Notwithstanding years and years of efforts, French schoolchildren had no access to the mic for direct amateur radio communications with the ISS. The letter from the Secretary of State in charge of telecommunications now changes the game. What a great piece of news, Rob. You've been involved in a few of those? Absolutely. And another one coming up soon, too, where my... uh daughter-in-law actually her school will be uh, involved in an RS contact and everyone's very excited about that 
from the WIA. This is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. Well, we've heard about drones and in fact we've discussed them here on the air before. Some news this week about drones that some arrests have been made for flying small drones over the George Washington State Bridge. Radio remote controlled drone aircraft flown by members of the general public are in the news again and not in a very positive light. Here's AR Newsline with that report. New York City police recently arrested two men for operating a pair of small drone aircraft over the George Washington Bridge on Monday, July 7th, one of which nearly hit a police helicopter. The New York Police Aviation Unit helicopter was on patrol around 12.15 in the morning when it spotted one of the unmanned aircraft near the bridge. The drone continued to circle, forcing the chopper to swerve to avoid it. Police said that one of the drones, which were operated by remote control, came within 800 feet of the police aircraft. The aviation unit followed the drones north as they landed near Fort Tryon Port, a few miles north of the bridge and overlooking the Hudson River. Police on the ground then arrested two men and charged them with reckless endangerment. The Federal Aviation Administration has not yet set standards for certifying the safety of civilian drones. As previously reported, that agency is currently looking into creating regulations for their use. But there's very strong opposition coming from many sectors that believe these devices are a menace to public safety. Rob, drones sound like fun. But not when you're flying them within, what is it, 800 feet or whatever it is of the police and they're coming to get you. That's right. I saw some little helicopters, little foam ones. They barely get up to the ceiling. I remember over at the uh, electronics store, the big mm-hmm. blue store, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, I was just really not very, ever very good at controlling those things. Well, courtesy to our listeners, The Social Scene 2014. Get the pen and paper and pencil and calendar and open up your phone and get the diary out because I'm about to start. Uh, we've made a joke for a few weeks now that this is uh, not the social scene, but the Hamfest scene. So this is how you can support your local club and the other local clubs. And if you're traveling and if you if you can use it as an excuse to go interstate to travel to see the in-laws or somebody else and get to a Hamfest along the way, this is why we do it. September 13, VK4 Sunshine Coast Amateur Radio Club's Sunfest, Woomby School of Arts. And September the 14th in VK3, the Shepparton and District Amateur Radio Club Hamfest kicks off at 10am. Stay in VK3 a fortnight later, September 28th, Amateur Radio Technology Group Hamfest in Keelor East. Moving on to October, on October the 3rd in VK4, the Townsville Amateur Radio Club's Cardwell Gathering, and that's a four-day event. October 25th in VK4, Hamfest on the Gold Coast. I reckon that's going to be warm enough weather to go up there, mate. You reckon? I think it's always golf. warm enough weather to go up to Queensland, actually. Yes, any excuse. On November the 2nd in VK5, the Hamfest, the Adelaide Hills Amateur Radio Society Hamfest. VK3, November 9th, Yarra Valley Amateur Radio Group's Hamfest, 10am, Gary Cooper Pavilion. And November the 15th in VK7, the Myena Hamfest. See how I sneakily made you say that one again? Because I don't know if it's Myena, Myena, or somebody please send me an audio clip. Finally, November 30th, VK3, the Spark Hamfest at Rosebud. That's, uh, we're nearly done, Rob, but we got some great pieces of feedback this week. And our first piece of feedback this week is from Alan, M1AFQ. Uh, that's not from Australia, is it, Rob? No, not, not M1. He says, Hi, I try to listen to the news weekly if I can, usually through VK4TPT-L. But on the occasion I cannot... I go to the website and listen. 
And this last week, I have to say, it did sound very nice. I prefer listening to your news to my own. How's that? Very nice. Thank you, Alan, M1AFQ. It's very nice to hear from distant listeners, I must say. And in following up on this piece of feedback, we also wanted to thank VK4TPT, Ray, for making the news reliably available to hams around the world on the Echo Links. Interestingly, Ray's online profile shows this retired two-way radio technician to be an interesting character who both plays and teaches the didgeridoo. Ray's also involved with the Maryborough Electronics and Radio Group and runs the Fraser Coast F Troop Net. So thanks again, Ray, for making this broadcast available and g'day to our new friend, Alan M1AFQ. G'day, Alan, and uh, thanks again, Ray, the man who likes to make things resonate by the sound of it. That's right. And we close this week's broadcast feedback with an interesting thought from one of the team who vibrates the vibratables in the ether and brings the broadcast to the ears of our listeners every week. And that's Barry, VK6WF. Morning to all. Trust you're all well. 38 callbacks this morning from Onslow in the north to Esperance in the southeast. Best 73, VK6WF Barry. Barry's email signature says, Light travels faster than the speed of sound. This is why some people tend to appear bright until they decide to speak. That's a very good final, final, final for certain people sometimes, I think. Indeed. And finally this week, it looks as if the creation of the Tesla Science Center and Museum in Shoreham, New York, has finally gotten another step closer to reality. This thanks to a well-known entrepreneur who truly believes in celebrating the past as well as planning the future. Amateur Radio Newsline's Cheryl Lasek, K9BIK, has the details. The effort to build a science center and museum in honor of the legendary scientist and inventor, Nikola Tesla has received a special gift. This after it was announced that Elon Musk, the entrepreneur and inventor behind electric car company Tesla Motors and the aerospace company SpaceX, had pledged $1 million to the Tesla Science Center Museum in Shoreham, New York. The backstory goes this way. Matt Inman is the originator of the webcomic The Oatmeal. In 2012, he created a tribute to Tesla titled Why Nikola Tesla? was the greatest geek who ever lived. Inman also started the fundraising campaign to purchase the Shoreham Wardenclyffe Tower, which was Tesla's former laboratory in New York, and converted into a museum. The campaign raised $1.37 million in 45 days, far surpassing the $850,000 goal. The land to build the museum was successfully purchased in 2013 by Tesla Science Center at Wardenclyffe. This is a non-profit group that had been trying to acquire the property for 18 years. But getting the property was only the first step. This past May, Inman did a cartoon review of the Tesla Motors Model S automobile. At the conclusion, Inman referred to the company's namesake and included what he called a teensy request to Elon Musk. While Musk had contributed to the first fundraiser, monies were still needed to perform the extensive renovation of the land and build the science center and museum itself. Within hours of the comic being posted, Musk sent Inman a message on Twitter that simply said that he would be happy to help. Ironically, Musk's donation came just in time for the celebration of what would have been Nikola Tesla's 158th birthday. For the Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm Cheryl Asik, K9BIK, reporting.
In addition to the donation towards creating the museum, Complex.com reports that monies will also be included to build a charging station in the parking lot so that owners of Tesla's electric automobiles can charge them quickly while they visit the facility. Well, thanks again, Brian, for doing the broadcast with me again this week. And one more week before uh, Graham's back. Uh, just a quick one here on submitting news. That if you'd like to submit news for inclusion in the WIA broadcast, please email your item to nationalnews at wia.org.au. And also to submit audio, there's a How to Submit Audio page on the WIA website. And remember, the sooner you submit material, the more likelihood of it being broadcast in the very next edition of WIA National News. Each item will only be played once, so if you want a couple of mentions, please submit different slants and different items for a new and fresh approach every week. We'd like to thank Graham for the opportunity. We'd like to thank you all for listening, and uh, please send some stuff in so that uh, Graham has an easy week in his first week back. Maybe we can have an easy week in our last week off. And uh, Rob, as we always say... We report it, you decide. We've reported, you decide.